Scripture says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, for that reason, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This morning, our sermon title was, What's in the Name? And we talked about the power of Jesus' name. We talked about it from that very verse. In fact, some of you sitting here tonight may think, wait a minute, is he going to preach the same sermon again? No, same introduction. But we talked this morning about the power of Jesus' name and all that it implies and all that it contains and all that it symbolizes of his, his sacrifice and his authority and his excellence and his supremacy and his sovereignty and, and his reputation and everything that the name covers. We stated from this very text in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 that I just read, the reason he was given that name above all names. We talked this morning about the essence of all that he is. And our cornerstone verse was Acts chapter 4, and verse 12, where it says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so tonight, we're going to build off of this morning's lesson, in case you haven't guessed that already. Tonight, we're going to build off of everything we talked about this morning, go a little bit different direction with it. And we're going to begin by opening our Bibles to a text that I mentioned, Ephesians chapter 1. Please turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. And it talks about all of those things we talked about this morning. He says, Paul writes to our brethren in the first century church of Christ in Ephesus, and he says in chapter 1 in verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, don't forget that word, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of the power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and, and power and, and might and dominion and every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so we see this name above all names. We see that Jesus is seated far above all rulers and dominions and powers and governments and, and all of this. And, and he is just seated that high and, and all things are under his feet, especially his body, which is his church. Not somebody else's church, his church. The one he died for, the one that's in the scriptures, the churches of Christ. So, with all of that in mind, here's the question for tonight's lesson. If Jesus' name is so powerful and so majestic and so excellent, and it is, and if his name represents all that he is and all that he was and all that he has done for us and all that he shall ever be, and it does, then how on earth could he be glorified any more than he already is? That's the question. How on earth could Jesus be glorified any more than he already is? Look at all he's done. Look at what his name represents. How is it possible that he could even receive any more glory than he already has? If God had to pick one earthly creature, one, one of his creation, just, just one kind of creature, that he would give the immense honor and privilege and potential of seeking to add even more glory to the name of Jesus. Which one would it be? Well, obviously the answer is us, right? Think about the privilege we have. Think about all we talked about this morning. Think about the glory of Jesus' name. Think about Ephesians 1. Think about all of these texts that we've talked about. And yet, God gave you and I the privilege of giving even more glory to Jesus than he's already got. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever thought about it in those terms? That is just incredible. So, you know, we often sing songs like our invitation song tonight. What's our invitation song? We will glorify. We sing songs and say, well, we're going to glorify him. We're going we're to bring even more glory to him. Well, okay. It's a neat song, but how do we do it? How do we do it? We can sing all day long. We will glorify the king, but how do we really do that? How is it even possible for us as mere, weak, sinful, flawed, mortal human beings to ever bring more glory and honor to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords? How on earth can we possibly do that? Apostle Paul cried out in, in 2 Corinthians 2.16, he said, who is sufficient for these things? Like, who can possibly do this? And that's kind of what we're talking about. How can we possibly do that? Tonight we're going to look at some ways that we can glorify him truly. Not just sing the song, but make it happen. One way that a Christian glorifies God, brings more glory to God, is by spreading the knowledge of him to everyone around them. That's a way that we glorify God. That is a huge way that we glorify God. By spreading the knowledge of him, the gospel, his word, to every lost soul, everywhere around us, everywhere we go. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we'll see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Look at how it proves what I just said. 
We glorify God by spreading the knowledge of him to the lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory, here it is, of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine on them. For we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He said, we preach this Jesus, this Jesus that is so full of glory. We bring glory to him when we preach him, when we tell others about him. Listen, God is glorified when the lost hear the truth and they respond appropriately to it. Acts chapter 13, verses 46 through 49. When they come to understand as we talked about this morning, all that is contained in the name of Jesus and they humbly submit to him and obey him because they understand who he is. That's one way we glorify God. You know, it tells us in John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, that speaking and declaring the word of God is how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And we have the awesome privilege of doing the same thing, of, of following in those same footsteps. We have thousands of, thousands, not hundreds, thousands of opportunities here in Shoto and the surrounding area to glorify God by telling people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. And every time we do, we glorify God. If we are only willing to take advantage of our God-given privilege, what a privilege it is that the God and creator of this universe after all the glory Jesus has gotten, has allowed us the opportunity to bring him more glory, which is what we do, again, when we talk to people and, and tell them the story of our God and how he loves them. As we reach out with the gospel and people are converted and saved, God is glorified. Is that right? He absolutely is. And you know, there's a lot going on right now in our physical world, news and all of that. There's a lot going on in our congregational world. There's a lot of things going on and, and with so many of those things going on, it'd be real easy right now and maybe some of us have even kind of forgotten about our mission of seeking and saving the lost. That's our primary mission, isn't it? Isn't that what we're supposed to be here for to do? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. We had a slogan at the beginning of the year we talked about, 2021, you remember that? One more than 2020. Let's not just talk to one more person than we did in 2020, but let's convert one more person than we did in 2020. You know, the last time that the waters of this baptistry tank were stirred with a new soul being added to the kingdom was almost a year ago. Almost a year, April the 13th. 
On April the 13th, Melanie Dawson was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of her sins and added to the church. That was the last soul that's been saved in these waters of baptism for almost a year. Sometimes I think that maybe if we could just get some of the other things in our world out of the way, it would help us. I mean, if we spent as much time and effort being concerned for those who are dying in sin as we are those dying of COVID, if we spent as much time exhausting our efforts to spread the gospel as we do exhausting our efforts not to spread COVID, maybe some of those people would be reached. You know, this pandemic in a lot of places has been considered as a hindrance to the gospel. It has. Well, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't reach them this way, we can't knock doors, blah, blah, blah. Okay. What's the Bible say in Romans 8, 28? And we know that God causes the good things to work, no, that's not what it says, is it? All things to work together for good for those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. It is when people feel the most vulnerable and helpless and hopeless that they are the most reachable with the gospel of hope and victory. Doesn't that make sense? And folks, I gotta tell you, I just wanna verify this. This isn't just Doug talking, okay? Last week, I received the following that I'm gonna put up here in a minute from Brother Matt Wallen at House to House, Heart to Heart. You all know we, we send out House to House, Heart to Heart, this congregation has for years. And this is something I got from Brother Matt Wallen, whom I've corresponded with there for years. He says, here is some good news about the good news. Last year, even in the midst of a pandemic, we have had more conversions reported than ever before in our existence. Did you hear that? Last year, house to house, heart to heart, because of their influence, however they keep records, had more conversions recorded than they have ever had in the midst of the pandemic. 370 baptisms were reported in 2020. I continue reading from the email he sent me. People are looking for the truth. Look at the faces of some of these 370 people who made 2020 their best year ever. Share these statistics and this graphic with your congregation to remind them that people still want the gospel and we can take it to them. Put this on your PowerPoint announcements. Put it in your bulletin. Email it to your members. Let's encourage each other to keep sharing the good news of the gospel. That's from Brother Wallen. Brother Alan Webster. Does anybody in here doesn't know the name of Alan Webster? That means you're probably a visitor or you've been walking through this tunnel up here blind. Both sides. Sorry, one side. As you ground the corner, there's more. There's tracks all over the place. We have got drawers full of tracks from Alan Webster. Alan Webster was a preacher for a number of years at the Jacksonville Church of Christ, and he's written so many of these tracks. In a separate correspondence that I just received recently regarding these same numbers, he said, the future is bright because God is good, the gospel is powerful, and Christians love souls. Brethren, you want to glorify God? You want to bring glory to him who has all authority, reverence, glory? You want to bring glory to the name of Jesus? Then we need to sing 
We need to do what we sing we're going to do and glorify him. We need to do what we say we're going to do and glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords by our obedience, by telling people about Jesus. And it will be by our obedience that we bring honor and glory to his name, just like Jesus did in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. How did he glorify God? He was obedient even to the point of death. God's not asking you to go out and die. He's, going, he's asking you to go out and tell others about Jesus so they don't have to die eternally. Moving on. The Apostle Peter gives us a number of ways in which we, mere mortal human beings, are also given the privilege and the opportunity to glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 16, this entire section of, of Peter's epistle is full of ministries, abilities, and activities through which God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory forever and ever. That's what it says in verse 11. Right in the, right in the heart of this section, in 1 Peter chapter 4, 8-16, through 16, it tells us that all these things he's talked about, all of these ministries and these, these abilities are there to show us how God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Turn over there with me if you haven't already. I already heard some Bibles turning, but go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 4 if you haven't. We're going to spend some time here, as the Apostle Peter tells us, some ways to bring glory to God. First of those is found in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. We have the privilege of glorifying God when we love one another earnestly, honestly, sincerely, patiently, completely, and continually from the heart, just like Jesus loves us. That's how we glorify God. Peter had already addressed this at length and in detail in chapter 1 in verses 14 through 23. Paul, the Apostle Paul, also discussed this same kind of bringing glory to God, talking about this kind of love what it is and, and how we exercise the honor of bringing God glory through it in places like Romans 15, 5 through 7, where it says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, here it comes, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We bring God glory when we love and honor him by loving and honoring one another. Peter goes on here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Not only with, do we glorify one another when we love one another, but in verse 9 he says this. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Christian hospitality is a sign of genuine Christian love, Romans 12, 9 through 13. Christian hospitality is a sign of genuine Christian maturity, 
1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8, where we talk with elders in that passage. Christian hospitality is a sign of the fact that we are all legitimately Christian family, and that brings glory to our Heavenly Father. Hey, dads, question. When the whole family and the kids and the grandkids get together, don't that, at your house, don't that make you feel great? When Thanksgiving and stuff, when you're able to do that, we couldn't do it this year, a lot of us, but, but if the whole family and, and the grandkids and maybe the great-grandkids show up and, and they're all there, and, and, and don't you just love that? Well, God loves it, too, when his family all gets together. After all, who do you have in your house? Family. Christian hospitality. Family brings glory to God. Another way that Peter goes on to tell us that we get to bring glory to God in this section according to Peter is that we glorify God when we minister to one another's needs. Now, whether we do that by speaking the word of God or exhibiting what the word of God says in our service to one another, we glorify God that way. Look at the next couple of verses, verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. This is how we do it. This is the heart of this section. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. That's how we glorify God. And when I stop and think of all the things that I talked about this morning and all the glory he's already got, if God's going to allow a weak, flawed human being like me to even begin to glorify his son, what a privilege. And when we live our lives in such a completely different way as to show the absolute excellence and existence of Almighty God to the lost world all around us, we glorify God, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. We were bought with a price, therefore we are to glorify God with our body, 1 Corinthians 6, 20. And one way we do that is just what Peter just told us, by using the word of God to encourage our brethren to love on them and by showing them, by ministering to them and serving them the reality of God and, and all of these things, in all things, he says, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, it takes some faith sometimes, takes some courage, and it takes some conviction to live like that because sometimes it creates controversy, conflict, and opposition. Sometimes even from Satan himself which is going to bring us to yet another way that the Apostle Peter said we must bring glory to the magnificent name of Christ. And that's in verses 12 through 16. Look what he says. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Listen, if you're living for God, 
If you're out there and, and you're just, you're living for God, you're, you're doing it God's way. And, you know, there are going to be times that when you do that, that people are going to speak evil of you. They're going to have bad things to say about you. That's just what he's talking about here. But he said, Peter said, that's okay. Listen, when you're living for God, you're bringing God glory. And if they're, if they're having bad things to say about you when you're doing it right, hey, as far as God's concerned, they're blaspheming, but you are bringing glory to God. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. That's how you glorify the King of Kings. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. We get to glorify God. That thought blows me away. You know, it's one thing to be, have my sins washed away and to be able to even be a part. You know, I'd rather be a doormat in the kingdom of God than to not be in God's kingdom, okay? And it blows me away that I don't have to be a doormat. Like, like the prodigal son that came back to the father. The father didn't put him out with the hired servants. The father welcomed him back. And, and when I think of, of my sins, and I think of the times that I haven't pleased God, and, and I, I get to be a member of the kingdom, not as a doormat, but as a son. And I think, how much better can it get? I don't deserve that. And then God says, he can get better because I'm going to allow you the privilege to bring me glory. Are you kidding me? Me bring, me? You? I know who you are. How can I? God says like this. That's a privilege I'm going to extend to you. I'm going to allow you to bring me glory. And that blows Doug away. God's name is glorified by those who refuse to compromise his word and will, no matter how much pain, loss, or personal suffering it costs them, or how much they have to give to live for him instead of themselves. You know what the, you know what the Greek word glorify means? If you, if you look that up in a Greek-English dictionary, here's what glorify means. It means to honor above all else, to acknowledge and honor him above all else, Synonym, to magnify. You glorify God by magnifying God. How do, you ma how do you magnify somebody that's everywhere all the time, right? And, and I know I've told you this story before, but I absolutely, I love this because it, it's just the perfect definition of magnify. Little, uh, little kids class and the Sunday school teacher asked, her little kid said, how do you magnify God? One little boy raised his hand, you know. She said, yeah, she said, how do you magnify God? And he says, that's easy. You just make him bigger. Think about that. We magnify God when we make him bigger for all the world to see. Now, we don't obviously make him literally bigger, but we, can, can we make God bigger in the eyes of our friends? Can we do that? Can we make God bigger in the eyes of our friends by living for him? Can we do that? Sure we can. And when we magnify him, according to the meaning, we glorify him. We bring him more glory as we get people to focus on him. That's what this is all about. We glorify his name, his authority, his supremacy, his majesty. When we are willing to submit our own will and needs and desires to his, despite the cost or consequences. Isn't that what Jesus did? 
Remember, you ought to remember, I've read it twice today, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Remember, Jesus was obedient to the point of death on the cross. Isn't that exactly how he glorified God? He was obedient to his heavenly Father despite the cost or consequences. Well, you know what? Same way that we glorify God. When we are obedient no matter what. Let's take a look at how Jesus glorified God as our example that we're to follow. We're going to do this from John chapter 12, if you turn there. Let's take a look at how Jesus glorified God by straight-up obedience, no matter the cost. Oh, and as we do this, one thing you might notice is that glorifying God is done most effectively when it hurts. Glorifying God is done most effectively in times of pain and suffering. John 12, 23 and 4. John 12, 23 and 4. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus was telling them, I've got to obey my Father, and I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to be buried. In order to produce Christians, in order to produce this crop of forgiven people, I'm going to have to die, just like a grain. And if it, if it, doesn't, if it isn't planted, it's not going to do anything. He goes on to say the same is true for us. Look at verses 25 and 6. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, that where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. This can only happen when we're willing to put that old man of sin to death and rise up and live for him. Because God's will is more important to us than our own. And then he goes on to show us the greatest example ever given. Look at the next two verses. He said, this is what it looks like. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? What, what do you want me to say? God, bail me out? No. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. God, I will do whatever it is you have asked of me. I'm here. Use me. Bring glory to your name. That's Jesus' message. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. You know, Jesus would go on later this same evening in John 17, 1 through 4, to show us that glorifying God means doing his will and accomplishing the work that he gave us to do. Did he give us a job to do? Sure did. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. And we need to do that despite the cost or consequences. You know, we, we sing, and again, that neat little song, and we say that you know, we want to glorify God, but again, I want to bring up that glorifying God in the scriptures is usually something that is done against the backdrop of pain or suffering. For example, Jesus glorified God by leaving behind the glories of heaven, taking on the form of a human being, coming to earth, going through all that he went through, being tortured, brutalized, scourged, 
and nailed to a cross. That's how he glorified God. Glorifying God sometimes involves pain. Jesus, you'll recall, in another instance, told Peter how Peter was going to die in John 21, 15 through 18. And it says in verse 19 of John 21, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He said, Peter, here's what's going to happen. Tells him, and then John says, this is how Jesus said Peter was to glorify God by dying for him. You notice what Jesus said after that? He said, but follow me, Peter. In Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5, we know the story. We talked about it a little this morning. The apostles were being persecuted. It says there in chapter 4 and verse 21, that when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. The people were in an uproar. They were glorifying God. They were magnifying God. They were talking about what wondrous works God had done through these apostles. And so the council had to let them go because the crowd glorified him. Later on in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, after they had taken a literal beating for preaching, in the name of Jesus, it says they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Talked about his name this morning. That's how they glorified God. If we were to turn to Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16, we would see that the Apostle Paul's life would include some suffering that would perpetuate his glorifying God as well. Glorifying God is often done against the backdrop of suffering. You know, I want you to think of Christians you've known in your life, maybe Christians you still do. When I see those today who are willing to become Christians despite the almost certain loss of family and friends that they used to know, that they are going to now have to suffer as a result by becoming Christians, and they still do. When I see that, or when I see a Christian today take a beating verbally maybe at the hands of other folks just for standing up, speaking up for the truth, or when I see Christians who've lost family members, they've lost the company of loved ones, maybe they've lost their children, Maybe they've lost their own health and well-being, but they just keep on worshiping and serving and studying with this, with this confidence in their Christianity and this confidence in their creator. When I see those people who've had all those losses, and I, and I had this conversation with, with a sister just recently as, as we were leaving the building, but, but when I see families that have, that have suffered so much and they keep showing up and speaking up and standing up for Jesus no matter what. They keep standing on the promises. They keep steadfast in his word. They are unflinching in their faith. They are uncompromising in their convictions. Guess what? I see God glorified. I see God glorified. I see him made bigger because those people are hanging on to their God because he is bigger than anything they've lost. And that makes him bigger to me. And that encourages me to hang on when I struggle, 
What do I see when I see people like that? I'll tell you what I see. I see God glorified. They're not just singing the song. They're not just saying the words. But they're living their faith. They're glorifying God. They're magnifying him. They're making him bigger so everybody can see what an awesome God they have. You know, those are the heroes that our young people need to be idolizing. Those Christians who've been around for so many years, suffered so many losses, but they are some of the most faithful people on the planet. These are the heroes that help inspire and encourage me to keep on going whenever I struggle. But here's the part of this sermon I have just been so anxious to get to. Those people, those people, those people who glorify God every way, every day they possibly can, those people, don't miss that. Let's say it again, those people will get their reward and it will surely come from the hand of God himself. For those who glorify God on earth, he himself has said he will share his glory with in heaven. Did you, did you get that? Does God have any glory to share? Does Jesus have any glory to share? Listen again. Let's make it easier. Read it. Those who glorify him on earth, he himself has said he will share his glory with in heaven. Don't you want that? I want that. Do you know that scripture? I'm going to give you not one, not two, but I'm going to give you three scriptures that prove that God promised that those who glorify him on earth, he has said, I will share my glory with in heaven. Let's turn and look at all three of them. First one, Romans chapter 8. There's a reason I didn't put them up there. I didn't want you jumping ahead. Romans chapter 8. Oh, man, this is too good. We've got to read this all together. Watch how this slide is proven by the word of God. Romans chapter 8, we begin at verse 12. It's speaking to those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1, and it says, therefore, in verse 12, to the brethren, that is, the members of the church, the members of the bride and body of Christ, verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, like a little child climbing into their daddy's lap. The Spirit himself bears witness. Here it comes. The, witness, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are. Doesn't say we shall be. Doesn't say we will be. Doesn't say we might be or maybe. It says we are right here and now. We are children of God. And if children, which we are, preceding line, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that what? 
we may also be glorified together. Praise God. Notice there's suffering. Yeah, there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some problems. Yeah, yeah, we live on a fallen planet. Yes. But if we suffer with him, if we suffer for him, that we may also be glorified together. Those who glorify him on earth, he himself has said he will share his glory with in heaven. Second passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Please turn there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 11 and watch how this is proven again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 11. Paul says to our brethren in first century Thessalonica who were members of the church there, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name, remember this morning's sermon, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and what? You in him. That you will be glorified in him. Not only will he be glorified in you when you do the good works and you live for him, but you, you will be glorified in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Our God is way too good to us. Our God is way better to us than we can even begin to get our minds around. First Peter chapter five, beginning at verse six. Watch this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 1 Peter 5, 6, that he may exalt you in due time. What does it say God's going to do? Remember how it said he exalted Jesus to the highest place? Remember where it said that? Well, it says here that he's going to exalt you. Isn't that what it says? You know what that means, don't you? That means you, Cheryl. That means you, Karen. That means you, Connor. That even means Doug. That he may exalt you, you, in the proper time, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, there's always suffering involved in this, are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. But don't miss verse 10. May the God of all grace in these sufferings, the God who called us to his eternal glory, is God gonna share his glory with you? Is that what it says? His what kind of glory? His momentary? No. He called you to his eternal glory. Sometimes when I get to preaching and I get to the full-blown 
message and, and begin to examine the goodness of God, even after the years that I've been a Christian, the decades I've been a Christian, sometimes it just wants to drive me to my knees and just thank God. Three passages that tell us God is going to share his glory with us if we'll but glorify him here. If we'll glorify him by living, by telling others about him, by serving and ministering and loving one another and all those things we covered tonight. He's promised in those three passages that those who glorify him on earth, he'll share his glory with in heaven. I want to be, as we sing in a song, I want to be in that number, don't you? It's up to us. He's done everything for us. So the question as we close tonight is this. Will you, will you allow God to glorify his name in your life this week? Will you allow him to do that? Really and truly, you don't have to answer it because the week will tell. By next Sunday night when you're sitting here, God, it'll already have told. I mean, God already knows. But will you allow God to glorify his name in your life this week? That's what he wants to do. You know what it's going to mean if you answer that yes? It's going to mean getting out of your comfort zone and talking to somebody about Jesus. That's what it's going to mean. doesn't matter what age you are. If you're old enough to obey the gospel and you're old enough to be a Christian and you're old enough to know what saved you, then you're old enough to tell somebody what saved you. Simple as that. You know, evangelism is not for folks over 50. Well, it is, but it's for folks all the way down the scale to the youngest Christian as well. It's also going to mean some suffering. It's going to mean some sacrifice and maybe not getting what you want. It's going to mean reacting to the suffering that will come your way the way God wants you to so that he will shine through instead of doing what you want to do. Because God will only glorify his name as far as you are willing to go with him this week. Tonight, if you're willing to bring glory to his name by becoming a Christian, by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you need the prayers of the church, maybe these two lessons today have really just made you stop and think. And if they have, praise God. But maybe they've caused you to stop and think, you know what, I need to be stronger as a Christian. I want to bring more. I love God so much, but I just don't seem to have the power and the strength to bring him the glory. I don't seem to have it in me to, to, to minister the way I ought to, and I'm always saying the wrong thing, and I'm doing it, but I want to do better, but I just don't know how, and I need strength. If that's you, why not have the church pray for you? The effective prayers of a righteous man availeth much. We'd love to pray for you. If you're here tonight and... You would like more study. You don't understand maybe the plan of salvation or some of the things we've talked about. We'd love to study with you. If there's any way that we can help anybody, either come forward in just a moment as we stand and sing this song, or else let us know electronically if there's some way that we can help you. Anything that we can do right now. Why wait? Why do you wait? Arise, be baptized, come for the prayers of the church, whatever you need to do right now as we stand and as we sing.